available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com. Liner, going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome everyone back to the podcast of champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together we are the podcast of champions talking all things Pac-12 football. Crazy weekend in the Pac-12. We're going to get to all of that, recapping everything that happened in week nine, previewing what's going to come up in week 10. We got our picks. David gets another win in the picks. Uh, my third week in a row of being exactly 500, but Dave picks up one more game, still one game behind. And our survival pool is done. We're going to talk about all that. Do you have any questions or comments? Podcast. I mean, Pac12podcast at gmail.com is the email address. Or if you want to tweet us at Pac12podcast, our voice line with a text, you can text us as well, 424-532-0678. That's the number, text or leave a voicemail. And as always, go to Pac12podcast.com for all the updates on what's going on with the site, with us, and all of our old episodes. But David, congratulations on another week of winning the picks. Yes, and uh, we got to talk about the survival pool because... You want to do that first? So how many, okay. how many of you were left? Four? There was four of us left. Right, and three of you picked Oregon to win. Now, right. Oregon, spoiler alert, lost their game by 29 points is that the biggest margin of loss for a team that was picked in the survival pool this year i'm i'm gonna say yes i would guess so uh people that came early was ucla losing like uh to cincinnati what was the spread in that one or what was the score in that one uh, nine points nothing, okay so nothing, nothing. and i picked stanford the week they lost by 19 to utah Okay, yeah, so that was a pretty big one. Uh, Arizona, Dan Sorensen picked Arizona week one. That was, let me pull that up. That was a five-point loss. So, yeah, this had to be yeah. the worst. This had to be the worst one. And then we also had, so, okay, so myself, Jason Shear, and Chris Fetters picked Oregon. So we're all eliminated. That would leave Adam Munster Tiger. He picked Washington. They lost. <laughs> they only lost by two. But they lost. So everyone's eliminated and the survival pool is over. Isn't that beautifully Pac-12 though? <laughs> Isn't that just perfect? <laughs> could it have ha- could it have ended any other way than I, the two like the two teams everyone thought was going to be probably in the top two or three in the North at preseason? Probably you know Washington still will be, but to to just lose here in Week Nine, it's beautiful. It is, it's yeah, thing. it's very fitting of the Pac-12. And then uh, another week for you. So we only had one pick that was different, and I couldn't have been more wrong. We'll we'll get to it at the time, but you got you got the one pick we had different right, and right <laughs> went just the way I thought it would. Yes, <laughs> uh, we'll we'll talk about that at the time. So you are one game behind me now. So it's really close heading into these last uh, few weeks. So. Uh, I think I had a three-game lead at one point. You've tr- trimmed away one game at a time, and uh, so th- our picks are getting pretty close. Uh, we also have 
And this is a, I think this is the first time, I don't remember if it's the exact first time, but um, the uh, Pac-12 uh, players of the week are, are out. I want to get your thoughts on this. So Nikhil Harry wins for special teams. He had the... 90, yeah, that punt return was insane. 92-yard punt return. Uh, Tyler Vaughn's had a punt return for a touchdown too. But Harry, uh, I mean, Harry's... I mean, they won the game, so I, I don't vote Harry's for... Harry's was insane. It was insane. The only problem was he had two awful ones, like where he caught it inside the five. Like, one, he caught it the one. Um, yeah, the one the one where he, <laughs> The one that he fair caught at, like... Was that the one at the one where he yes. then walked out of bounds and then shake, shook his head and pat, and slammed his helmet? <laughs> like, oh, you dummy. <laughs> so, I mean, there were two really awful ones, but I guess that, you know, you you have a punt return like that, like to take the lead. Like, that makes sense, you know. Uh, but I did vote for it's him. Fine. I think it's people voting the people that probably didn't watch the game. Uh, but Evan Weaver uh, for Cal, defensive, uh, you know, inside linebacker, he had a uh, pick six. And I think he had 11 tackles and stuff too. Chris Chris Peterson should have gotten credit for that one. Chris, yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about that at the time. So no problems there. But then the offensive one, it was so hard because J.J. Taylor had a huge game. You know Benjamin had Zach, a huge game. Zach Moss. Zach Moss Who had a it? huge game. Gardner Minshew was 40 of 50 for 400 whatever and, and three touchdowns. Jake Luton. Got it. And I voted for him. He basically played the second half and threw for over 300 yards, erased a 28-point deficit, spoiler alert, and uh, the Beavs get the win. Um, I did vote for him. Who would you have voted for? I like the Luton pick. Um, That one works for me. Um, I think you could have gone. The thing is, I think guys get unfairly dinged when it's a huge blowout. Um, but you could have 100% gone J.J. Taylor. Uh, Zach Moss was really good as well. Watching him up close, I think I was underrating him as a runner. Um, he there's some power he there. Every bit, yeah, tons of power. And UCLA was bouncing off him like, I mean, they were bouncing off him like every single person attempting to tackle him was 150 pounds. Like it was just that was freaky running. Um, and it like not freaky running in the I'm gonna explode past you for 80 yards every play, but like just you're not tackling me no matter what. I'm just gonna throw you down. Um, that was impressive to me, but Luton's a fine pick. I think that makes sense. I, I I'm with you on Nikhil Harry. I think, um, you know, that, that, that touchdown probably is winning it for him, but he had some, <laughs> he had some di- dicey decisions. Even that one was a bad decision. Like that was not a great call to, to do that. But when you're that good and that athletic, you can make things happen. Yeah. Typically if you get like a 90 plus yard punt return, you probably should have caught it to begin with, but you're like, Oh, you know, whatever it worked, but they, you know, one out of three, if you make a big touchdown, I guess that's okay. But, I mean, going out at the one, that was that was pretty bad. Well, it's iffy on whether that was smart. But do you know what's not smart? What, David? Uh, let's say pulling your quarterback. Um, he's not playing too well in a football game. And <laughs> you're just like, you know what, let's make a change. And then your next quarterback comes in and he throws a pick six on the next play. That's what's not smart. But do you know what is smart, Ryan? What is smart, David? Going to ZipRecruiter.com slash POC to hire the right person for the job that you need done. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. It's powerful matching technology, scans thousands of resumes, identifies people with the right skills, education, and experience for your job, and actively invites them to apply so you get qualified candidates fast. 
That's why ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S. This rating comes from hiring sites on Trustpilot with over 1,000 reviews. And right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash POC. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash POC, ZipRecruiter.com slash POC. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. That's very smart. Much, much smarter decision if you go to ZipRecruiter than pulling out your all-time leading passer uh, in the, in, you know, backed in your own. We'll, we'll talk about that later, but uh, thanks to ZipRecruiter for the sponsorship. And Dave, great read. Thanks, man. I, I, I mixed it up this time. Yeah. Threw a little, little oh. bit of my own in there. I thought it was awesome. You know? I thought it was perfect. Yeah. Well, it was seamless. We've Give already... us your feedback on the ad read, everyone. Yeah. Let Give us, us know. your feedback. Um, Dave, I think it's time for our Pac-12 Roundup. Because there's a lot of games to get to. I feel like we mentioned them all already because there were so many interesting things. But just, It was so much fun. This was the most fun I think I've had watching Pac-12 football this week or this season. So uh, we're so we have our rankings. And uh, I, I was talked to David last night about where we would put people. Um, holy crap, it's hard. Uh, it's not easy outside of one and two. Is it like a 10-way tie for third or 12th or however you want to look at it? I mean, it, it, it was it's like not. A 10-way tie. It's a 10-way tie. It's What it is is it's 1 and 2 are clear, 11 and 12 are clear, and then it's an 8-way tie for like 7. <laughs> it's pretty bad. And then so for the first time, we actually have a tie in – uh, our rankings uh, at one of the spots, I believe. I don't. I don't think that's happened before. So we, I think, ten of the twelve sites voted this week. Uh, I, 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 if you wanted to abstain from voting this week, I completely understand. I just was dumbfounded. I'm like, I'm not sure what I want to do here. This team's better than that team. Where are they really? But it depends which week and all that kind of stuff. But we'll go through them. Uh, we'll talk about um, each one, and uh, we'll talk about the games and everything because there was some some cool stuff. So. Uh, the first uh, team we're going to talk about, this is a team tied uh, for 11th right now. UCLA Bruins. Uh, this was the Friday game, and they were hosting, uh, who is now uh, our number uh, two team. Utah Utes. Yeah, so uh, Utah's rolling. Um, they won 41-10. to 10. Uh, This was the fourth straight game i want to say where they've just been utterly and completely dominant um maybe third straight when was stanford but oh, whatever it was uh no, they have four in a row stanford arizona usc and then ucla yeah just utterly 40, at least 40 points in all of them hugely dominant um they have more than more than established an identity they've established i i think something they can truly build a Pac-12 champion on. Um, their rushing attack is just something else. They ran for 325 yards on 50 carries. Um, didn't need Tyler Huntley to do much of anything. Um, it, you know, he didn't even run the ball that much. Uh, he, he'd kind of been doing that a lot more of late. Uh, he only had eight carries for 22 yards. This was the Zach Moss show. They didn't need much else. He was just pounding UCLA all game. Um, started off a little bit slow for Utah. Um, I think UCLA was... Uh, they played pretty well in the first quarter. Um, they put together actually probably the best drive I've seen from UCLA all year came in this game. It's just, they only had the one drive. Um, it was a, you know, beautiful yeah, touchdown drive. Uh, then just couldn't put it together again from an execution standpoint. They uh, had, I want to say half a dozen critical drops. Um, one 
to Demetri Felton that could have gone for a touchdown before halftime. You know, this was a 17-7 game at halftime. It could have been 17-14. Could have been 17 all actually with pretty with competent level uh, receiver play from UCLA. It could have been a tie game at halftime. I don't think there was any scenario where UCLA was winning this game the way Utah was playing and the way UCLA's defense didn't show up. Um, but it could have been a closer game. Um, UCLA's defense and special teams were abysmal. Um, special teams especially, they muffed a punt, which set Utah up with a very short drive that they only got a field goal on. Um, they had two just horrible um, punt coverage uh, plays. They had multiple penalties on punts, uh, one on a field goal attempt before halftime that would have been from 47 yards. Instead, they had to attempt from 52 and missed it. Uh, just horrific special teams and, uh, defensively, uh, I mean, they gave up 325 yards on the ground on 50 carries. So that's, uh, that's egregious. Yeah. And this was a game we got wrong. Uh, this was UCLA was getting 10 points. We both took the Bruins and we were wrong. Looked pretty good early, David, for our pick, because, uh, I think both teams punted to start, um, and UCLA like muffed one and set Utah up inside the 10. Uh, but then, you know, they, uh, the Bruins, the defense held and held them to a field goal. So that was kind of like nice little build of momentum. Uh, UCLA had that really nice drive. They went for it on fourth and one and scored a touchdown. Uh, Zach Moss came, I think he broke off like a 60 yard run. So that was like the first really good play from this Utah offense. Obviously there was more to come. Uh, but then UCLA got an interception in the end zone, you know, and, and turned it around. I mean, it was, this game was, you know, pretty good early and then it just, it just kind of fell apart for UCLA. But uh, I think with the second quarter, uh, U- Utah started converting a bunch of third downs. The U- UCLA was playing well on other downs, but then they'd give up a, you know, they'd give up the first down on third down. And I think it was 17, seven, like late in the second quarter, the Bruins started dropping passes. And it just seemed like at first it was good. It was close. It was like this. And then it just, things started to unravel for UCLA. I don't know if you saw it that way. Um, but yeah, the, you mentioned the the false start, you know, moving them back on the uh, on the field goal try. There's all little things like that started to to happen. I think Spade had a pretty bad uh, interception there in the third quarter, and Utah was pulling away. Um, Kyle Bonagora, I think he tweeted out said, "Just run the ball. If Utah runs the ball, they're going to win." So Utah ended up running it eight straight times. I think they read his tweet, and they scored two touchdowns, made it thirty-one-seven. Um, so that, like I said, this is the fifth time this year that Utah scored over 40 points, four games in a row. Uh, this is the first time they've done that, you know, four, five games of 40 plus since they've joined the PAC 12. Um, and they had eight different guys that had rushes. They had eight different guys that caught passes and two different guys threw it to, to touchdown pass. Britton Covey had a touchdown pass. I think the first touchdown for Utah came from, uh, Covey throwing that pass to the tight end. So, uh, pretty balanced attack from Utah. There's a reason we have them number one or number two is because they just they look legit right now and they're boat racing people where everyone else is up and down each week. Utah is not. They are rolling. Yeah, and they're doing the exact same thing to every team every week. And I think w- one thing before we get on to the next game, uh, one thing that you just notice is they're an example of a team where one side fuels the other side. I think when the offense was struggling against Washington and, and Washington state and even NIU a little bit, um, the defense wasn't playing as well as it is right now because probably on the field a little bit too much, probably getting relied on too much. Uh, but now that the offense is just putting things together a little bit, I actually thought they played 
you know, the, the passing game really didn't get going against UCLA. Um, this was not even peak Utah offensive performance, but just the simple fact that they can get drives going and going and going um, allows their defense to just step up and play the way they did in the second half. I mean, they were dominant from uh, basically UCLA's second drive was that touchdown drive, and then the, the rest of the drives went. Here, let's 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 read them off. This is always fun. Okay. Punt, 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 <laughs> missed field goal, interception, field goal, punt, interception. That was UCLA's final eight drives. Uh, so, and you can see there wasn't that many of them. Like eight drives. Like Utah's able to do that. They control the ball well. This is a. I mean, this is a team that's playing pretty well after that zero and two start in the conference. To for them to be able to turn this around, uh, pretty impressive uh, what they've been able to do. So, it's they're taking advantage. There's there's all kinds of turmoil in this conference. Uh, both Utah and Washington state are taking advantage of it right now. So, uh, I don't, I don't see, you know, you thought that Oregon game might be a stumbling block. I'm not sure at this point, it doesn't look like to me, anyone else on the schedule is going to pose a threat, but you know, who knows Arizona state could beat them next week. Uh, but you know, tip of the cap to Utah cause they look, uh, they look legit right now. And I'll, I said one final thing. I'm going to say one more final thing. Sure. Uh, no, te- no team in the pac 12 has played better than Utah's playing right now. Just fair, fair. at all this season. I, th- I think that's fair. All right. So this was a team that was also tied at number 11. Oregon State Beavers. And uh, they were on the road trying to get a rare, rare, rare road win for the Beavs. Colorado Buffalo. They come in at number 10 Go. in our, in our uh, rankings this week. Go Beavs! Uh, Oregon State. One in overtime, 41-34. This one was insane. insane. Uh, it was, this was, uh, what was the score at one point? I want to say it was 31 to three Colorado. In the third quarter, it was 31 to three. And so Jake Luton, who hadn't been ruled out before the game, but they were talking like he's probably going to be limited. There's only so much we can do for him. He comes in in relief of Jack Coletto in the second half uh, for Oregon State and proceeds to go 28 of 39 for 310 yards and three touchdowns in basically a half of football. Yeah. That's nutty. Um, Player of the week, baby. We've talked up the Oregon State offense a little bit um, this season. Basically, it's it's fine. It's you know even pretty good. Uh, it's not great, but it's fine. It's pretty good, and they showed it in this game that they have the capability of scoring points in bunches. Um, I mean, they were basically unstoppable in that second half. I mean, let's look at that drive chart. So they went touchdown, punt, touchdown, field goal, touchdown, touchdown. That was that was their second half. They pre- almost had to play perfect, and they pretty much did. Yeah, and meanwhile, I mean, Colorado. You know, Mike McIntyre, I thought, was very um, – he, he was very forthright after the game. He said, hey, you know, I, th- I think they there was a let-up. You know, I think there was something where once you kind of let up a little bit, it's hard to get that back. And with good reason. I mean, you're up 28 points in, in the third quarter. You're you're calling off the dogs. You're probably even starting to think about putting in backups, that sort of deal. Um, and uh, it's just one of those weird things. This was a game where Colorado was favored by 24 – they rolled out to a 28 point lead and looks like they're going to cover with ease and then they lose the game. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's inexplicable. And the, 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 the craziest part about this is Oregon state should have won in regulation. It went to overtime, but they missed a PAT at the end of the game that would have won the game. Um, it was 34, 34 with the PAT coming and they missed it. Um, 
this this should have been won in regulation for Oregon State. That's bonkers. Insane. This this was crazy. This was this was going on while I was covering uh, the USC Arizona State game. So I was watching on my tablet, and this was the game that you and I had differently. And it was I think we had a twenty three and a half point spread. Uh, I was too many times I've seen Oregon State get a lot of points and look like they're going to cover and then blow it at the end. And this was like the exact opposite where 23 and a half points, Colorado's easily covering it, you know, early on. You're like, okay, they're, they're going to roll to this one. And then it's just like things just kept happening. And it was so strange to be down 31, three in the third quarter. And you put in your quarterback who hadn't played since week one or two or whatever it was. Uh, this was Jack Coletto's first start too uh, for Oregon State, um, but then to, you know see Luton come in there and just absolutely uh, kill it. I think the key was there was that one-handed catch um, when they after they put him in. He had that amazing one. I forget who it was that made the catch in the end zone. It was crazy. It looked like uh, Odell Beckham kind of thing. And oh, that, Isaiah Hodgins. Yeah, yeah, and he's totally. Yeah, he had a huge game. Totally sparked. Um, you know, sparked the, the the comeback there. And I think once that play happened, you're just like, wow, this is going great. Like Colorado was just on fire on defense the first half. They had five sacks uh, against Oregon State. And it just seemed like even though the, the offense started a little slow for Colorado, they were winning the field position battle. Then they kind of broke through with some late TDs in the, in the first quarter and then started piling it on. And they looked like they were just going to cruise. And then all of a sudden, it just was this, that crazy thing, like that one-handed catch. And then whenever Oregon State got the ball, it just seemed like they could do no wrong. So um, I know that Colorado tried to kick like a 53-yard field goal by their punter. That didn't work. There was, I mean, all this crazy stuff. And wait, then wait, the, wait. That, that, that didn't work really undersells that kick. It was like did, the did, worst hook. Did, <laughs> oh, my God. It was bad. <laughs> it, was, it was so bad. It was like the way you would kick a ball if you were trying to like get it in from like the left side in, in a soccer game. Yeah, like it was insane. It was like snap hook driver kind of thing. Like I've done. It that was too incredible. Often. Yeah, um, but then okay, so you mentioned that they make this ridiculous comeback. Um, they they tie the game, you know, with a PAT pending, and then in complete Oregon State fashion, miss the PAT. And at that point. Do you have any doubt in your mind that Colorado is going to win the game? Like none, none, none. absolutely none. Obviously Colorado is going to win this game. This was, you had it and you blew it and you got to give Oregon state credit because they didn't, they didn't blow it. They, they, you know, survived, uh, you know, like that long field goal attempt at the end to, to try to win it for Colorado. And then they ended up winning in overtime. So it was the third uh, best comeback in conference history. I think it tied for the worst, loss uh, as far as uh, allowed by Colorado, like come from behind loss like that in history. Um, I think it was 13 conference losses in a row for Oregon State and like 22 game road losing streak. So all of that ended and it's all thanks to Jake Luton, who was limited uh, coming into the game and they put him in the second half and it just went bonkers. So this was Pac-12 after dark, even though it was like Pac-12 brunch, but really, really good one. Yeah, and uh, Oregon State, they have some playmakers. I mean, Luton, Isaiah Hodgins, Jamar Jefferson, all these guys are pretty young, too. Yeah. I mean, this offense, I think, is only going to get uh, better next year. And, I, you know, we, we kind of have vacillated on, on – well, actually, Luton's a senior? What? I thought oh, he was a senior, yeah. Jamar Jefferson's a true freshman, though, from Narbonne, I believe. I think he's a true freshman, maybe redshirt, but he's uh, 
freshman from Narbonne. Wow, who did I think Jake Luton was? Um, in any case, uh, this was uh, th- this was just uh, kind of shows why we were thinking Oregon State might win some games this year. So good for good for the Beavs. Nice for the Beavs. And the Lavisca Chenault was out for this one, which you know obviously hurts. But you got some big plays from other guys, and uh, you you built up that huge lead. And this blew. wasn't lost on offense, really. I mean, they. They could have scored a little bit more in the second half, but this was this was a defensive letdown. Yeah. All right. So okay. So then, so that was number eleven, and well, tied for eleven. Number ten, uh, our number uh, nine team, Arizona Wildcats. Uh, they were hosting our now number five team, Oregon Ducks. Wow. This was maybe the most shocking result of the weekend. Um, Arizona beat the P out of Oregon, uh, 29 points, as we mentioned up top, 44 to 15. Um, it was, this one was one of those pylon games that, no, it probably shouldn't have been that big of a margin, but it was still like a substantial beating. Um, uh, Arizona, so I, I was kind of poo-pooing Arizona's performance from a, like a negative UCLA watcher perspective last week, but they did some things defensively to UCLA um, just attacking wise that made it tough for the Bruins. And that was all there in spades in this one. Um, Basically Oregon had nothing going on the ground. You know, they'd built kind of an efficient rushing attack and they couldn't get it going in the first, you know, quarter and a half. And then from that point on, they basically had to throw the ball. Um, But even early on, there was no running room really for Oregon up front. And then Justin Herbert, um, he had nothing open. Like, if you were watching this, if you just look at the stat line, you're like, wow, Justin Herbert, he must have really sucked that day. 24 of 48 for 186 yards and two touchdowns and a pick. Uh, but if you were watching the game, everyone, every one of the receivers he was trying to throw to was covered every single time. Uh, just they were not open. And I don't I don't know if that's design. I don't know if Arizona just had a good scout on it or what. But um, I think Oregon might have to go to the go back to the drawing board and see if they're getting a little bit predictable. Because it just looked like Arizona had it completely scouted out. Um, Oregon was down some offensive linemen, so you have to factor that in. But when you lose by 29, it's it's not just because you were down by a couple, down a couple of offensive linemen. This was, uh, you know, Oregon's had a tough time in Tucson <laughs> over the last really I don't tough. Know, <laughs> decade or so. But this was uh, this was definitely one of their worst losses. And you got to give credit to Arizona. I thought Khalil Tate played one of the best games he's played all this year. It was it it doesn't look great from a stat line perspective, but I thought he was competent, played within himself, didn't try to do too much, um, ran the ball when he needed to, um, and looked closer to still not fully healthy, but closer. And uh, JJ Taylor ran all over the place. So um, really nice win for Arizona. You know, bowl eligibility is still out there, and uh, they might be able to get it, but um, really nice win. Yeah, we did. Uh, I don't think we got this one right either, right? We had uh, who'd we have? Yeah, we had Oregon covering ten, I think, or yeah, eight, something and like that. Obviously, that was nowhere near. Uh, but you know, Khalil Tate playing and playing more Khalil Tatey like, I think that was important. But this just this was just like mistake filled. It's like Oregon didn't even show up. Um, it was so strange. You know, that first Tate's first touchdown pass. There was a guy. There was like no one within like 30 yards of the guy. Like it, you could have punted it to him. I mean, it was ridiculous. Um, and Oregon comes Yeah, can, back. We, can we talk about uh, Jim Levitt and that Oregon defense? What happened? Because they're not good, like at all. 
No. Like they're 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 actively really bad and he's getting paid like a I don't know. Billion dollars. Like two million dollars a year to field like what's a bad defense. It, it was just bad. I, I just want to note that. Um and stuff like that where guys are just completely wide open. It's just what's going on there? It that was like, oh, what is it? There's nobody near that guy. Just touchdown, but it's like a 30 yarder, so I forget what it was, but something like that. Um, but this Oregon offense is broken too. Uh I think they they would come back down seven and they fumbled and they gave Arizona a short field. Herbert would throw a pick. They they had a punt blocked. They muffed the punt. It just was like they didn't show up. It was like any opportunity they had to give the ball back to Arizona, they were doing it. And Arizona played very efficiently. JJ Taylor, I think he had 212 yards, a couple of touchdowns. Uh Justin Herbert, I think you know, guys were covered, but he didn't play that well. He had 38 pass attempts and uh, only 186 yards. So that's, I mean, he, he was hucking the ball a, a lot to uh, to only have 186 yards there. Um, they scored 15, Oregon did. So this is the first time since 2001 that they were held under 20 points. It's not like this that's is a, an Arizona defense that's been like lighting it up this year or anything. Um, no, you, that can't be right. They lost by, they lost, uh, they only scored eight against Boise State in Chip Kelly's first game. Uh, let's see this. I think I got it from the Pac-12 network. So what was, well, the Pac-12 network is full of, you know what? Uh, they said less than for the first time. Okay. I'll have to, I'll, I'll look that up, but there was there. Usually you're not seeing Oregon score under 20 points. Uh, certainly. Um, but they've averaged over 40 points this year. Uh, but the last two games combined, they scored 35. So, uh, <sighs> it's not, yeah, it's a team that's not, they, they can't run the ball right now. And, if Justin Herbert's not going to save you, if he has a, a mediocre game to a poor game, there's nothing really happening with this offense. So it's it's kind of crazy. Yeah, it's 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 not good. I mean, it did not look good. And Arizona's defense is feisty, um, and they have looked better of late. Um, but looking that easily defended, and USC fans who are listening should be familiar with that. Like looking that easily defended when you have pretty good talent. That that speaks to maybe some design issues to me. Yeah. Uh, the fact that they have only one real receiving option, like I get that they don't have another one super developed at this point, but other guys should be getting open a little bit more frequently than they are. I mean, yeah. Jalen Red's really fast. I watched him in high school. Um, you'd think you can get him open a little bit more, or whoever. But um, yeah, I, I I think the jury has got to be out on this offense right now, even with kind of the production it was able to put together in the beginning of the season, just because it seems now that teams have scouted it a little bit more, they're defending it easier. And maybe some of it is the offensive line injuries, um, but uh, it does, it just doesn't look like they're getting yards as easily as they were at the beginning of the year. And I don't, I mean, you got the basically number one pick in the NFL draft. You got to do that more. Like you have to do more than score 15 points on the road against a, you know, an up and down Arizona squad. Like they just, they, they made it pretty easy on Arizona. Arizona played well too, took advantage of a lot, but there's so many mistakes. It just did not look like a team that was coming in ready to play. So it's like they yeah. didn't want to be there or something. Great. Uh, all right. Our number eight team, USC Trojans. They were hosting our now number seven team, Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> So the funniest part about this game, and there were a lot of funny parts about this game, but the funniest part about this game for me 
was that even with the way this game started, um, if you go by my win expectancies thing that I love from Bill Connolly, the SBN Nation guy, uh, USC should have won this game. They were like 65% based on the stats of this game. They should have won. Wow. So uh, anyway, Arizona State won 38-35 on the road. They jumped out to a huge lead early, allowed USC to get right back into it, but then uh, held on enough late. Uh, Jack Sears started for USC. Um, he looked pretty good. Yeah. I, I thought he looked uh, I thought he looked pretty good. Um, this was the I would say probably the second best offensive showing for USC this year from the games I've seen um, after Washington State uh, moved the ball better. I thought they called a better game for Sears than they've called for JT Daniels yeah. this year. Um, a few less just throw it up and see what works. Um, and, uh, you know, just. Some rollouts. Um, he looked good running the ball. Um, he only had ten carries for ten yards, but I think that's um, a sign of some sacks and other stuff. He actually was making some plays with his legs, and not just you know getting getting upfield and, and running, but also just keeping plays alive with his legs. Um, but USC just got trucked early, and their defense did not look like they had, they wanted any part of this game in the first half. Uh, ASU was doing pretty much anything it wanted. You know, Benjamin was running all over the place. Uh, Manny Wilkins looked much more in control, looked much more poised than he's looked in recent weeks, ran the ball really well in this one. He had uh, the icing touchdown in this game was the 45 uh, yard touchdown uh, from Wilkins that he probably should have taken a knee on yeah. in the inside the 10. But whatever. Enjoy your day. And uh, <laughs> it, it was um, this was this was a nice performance for Arizona State um, offensively, uh, but their defense did let USC right back into this one. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, who boy, USC four and four. It's not great. Not, not pretty Dave. Uh, both Arizona state and USC are four and four. Um, yeah. But one of them's a little bit more four and four than the other. Yes. <laughs> one of them's a little bit more. USC's uh, lost two in a row now. Um, so Clay Helton's. 19 game home winning streak is over. He had never lost a game in the Coliseum. Now that's over. Uh, he had, I think 10 or 11 PAC 12 South wins in a row, but they've lost two in a row now. Um, so that's all over. A lot of my day is spent answering tweets and posts about who the next coach is going to be and all that kind of stuff. So we'll, we'll see what all that happens. But to me, you know, Benjamin was a stud in this game. He had 29 rushes, 185 yards. He, uh, did that spin move that he loves. I think he learned from LaDainian Tomlinson and uh, just absolutely was crushing it. He did not want to go down with first contact. There were plays where it looked like he was stopped for a loss or no gain and ends up getting 10 or 11 yards out of it, just dragging people with him. So he was he was great. And I thought I thought Manny Wilkins would bounce back after really not playing well. To you know, He admitted he didn't play well uh, in the loss to Stanford on that Thursday night. So I thought he'd come back and play better. He did. Um, the USC offense, though, I thought had some some spunk. Um, you know, there was a you know it was sort of condensed in the middle of the game, like the end of the second quarter and the you know first half of the third quarter. Then they had a few mistakes that kind of that cost them, but they were they were moving the ball pretty well, and it looked like it was a game plan that was more you know simplified and tailored to a, a freshman quarterback who that's Jack Sears, right? This is a redshirt freshman. They haven't really done that to the true freshman quarterback for whatever reason. You'd like to see them try to call things. Well, I've I've heard he's the most poised, you know, quarterback to ever come into college football. Yeah, so, so. just like roll the ball out there and let them do it. But like they were running like little screen. They they threw the tight ends a few times. 
uh, screen passes, you know, to receivers and little swing passes to running backs. You're like, where was this? Now, one thing they did do early on, which kind of started to get them, uh, started that Arizona State run, is they ran some sort of like triple option pitch looking thing uh, where where the pitch person and, and Jack Sears were almost right next to each other. It just was an ill-conceived time. Like you, That's not one of those plays you want to run to toss in there. That's something you have to run like every single day and get it exactly right. So that was that was a fumble that led to, I think, the first Arizona State uh, touchdown. But Nikhil Harry was absolutely incredible. He had the best catch maybe of the season uh, yeah. go, going away from his body. That was pretty, you know, and like you said, Manny Wilkins, I think, ran the ball really well, uh, including that long touchdown. Uh, but, you know, USC was going to have to sustain some drives. They had two really good drives, one to end the second half, one to start the third. I mean, uh, one to end the first, second quarter and one to start the third. But they were only two of 11 on third down. So that's not that's not really going to get it done. They had to hold the ball a little bit longer uh, than what they did. But it was it was crazy. It was back and forth. Arizona State rattled off 24 straight points. And uh, they I thought they played better and deserved to win. But it was it was down there at the end. It was anyone could have won that one, I think. So does USC have a quarterback controversy on its hands? No. So last night with um, the the conference call we have with Clay Helton, he made it clear that if JT Daniels is cleared from concussion protocol, which we should know more about on Tuesday, then he would be the starting quarterback. So I know a lot of fans were, hey, we want to see Jack Sears. We want to see Jack Sears. Um, But if JT Daniels is healthy, Clay Helton made it very clear he is still the starting quarterback. Okay. Interesting. Uh, I don't know what you think about that, but I thought he played pretty well. I thought Sears was very good. Uh, he obviously had the one fumble that was, um, you know, not great, but I thought he delivered the ball pretty well and uh, didn't make too many egregious mistakes. And for a guy just kind of thrust into a, a role where he'd been not doing much on the scout team, I thought he looked pretty, pretty good, actually. Yeah, so. he was 20 to 28 for like 235, two touchdowns. It's like, yeah, you know, he's never played before. I was like, that's pretty good. <laughs> I mean, he, that's I, not I, bad. I didn't think he should have been the third string quarterback out of fall camp either. No, no, obviously not. But, you know, and it, it kind of proves, I asked Clay Helton last night about, you know, did he uh, perform like from what you've seen in practice? Did he look better? Like how different did he look? And he said, you know, it was, some of the stuff is similar to what Sam Darnold does where you don't really know in a game. Like you didn't realize in practice, because if, if a defender comes up to you and touches you, you're done. But in practice, so a play's dead, but, in a game, Sam Darnold would get away from that guy and then go throw the ball downfield. And he felt that there was some element of that Jack Sears too. So that kind of gamer thing. Um, uh-huh. but, so you would think maybe you, I don't know, <laughs> want to get another look at that in a football game. You, you might. Um, but I, I think, I, mean, and I think JT, I don't, I mean, I, like I've been a little bit snarky about JT Daniels. I don't think he's been bad this year, but, Sears didn't look any worse. I'll say this. Sears didn't look any worse than JT Daniels has looked this year. No. Um, so I, I would give it at least another look. That'd be my that'd be my standpoint on it, but we'll see. We shall see. Uh, but yeah, my guess is he gets JT Daniels gets cleared and he'll go forward. All right. We're in the top half now. We got our number six team. California Golden Bears. <laughs> And they're hosting our now number four team. So if this team's number four, you know our rankings are kind of weird. Washington Huskies. Oh, boy. Oh, boy, this game. Um, Okay, so, all right. So um, Cal won 12-10. Okay, Uh, Washington lost. They scored 10 points. Wait, they had 12 points? 
yeah, Cal had 12 points. And they won. And they won the football game. Oh. Um, so this is there, – there was really nothing to this game. Like nothing happened in it. It was really uneventful except for one thing, which is in the third quarter um, – I'm gonna. I'm just gonna lay it all out. So in the third quarter, uh, Washington opens up with one of their best drives of the game. Actually, they go from the Washington 25 all the way to the Cal 32. It's fourth and ten. They're just they're trying to convert because their kicker is not very good and he can't make them from deep. And so Jake Browning is doing his Jake Browning thing, and he's in the process of getting sacked. And he does this thing with the ball where he's basically like chest passing it like 10 yards downfield where there's no Washington receiver. The only people in the vicinity are cow players. Um, but he's just doing that thing where he, he, you know what he does, which is he sometimes gets panicked and just makes an awful decision when he's under pressure. Um, I don't think that decision is unrelated to what happens next. Um, on the, on the next drive, uh, they're in their own end zone. Don't do much. Just run, run, run. Maybe made some bad decisions. Maybe Browning was part of that false start issue that Caleb McGarry was having constantly, where he, he false started twice, yeah. and I wonder if that was a timing of a snap issue. But on, in any case, on the next drive after that, so it went that weird two-handed chest pass for the intentional grounding, followed by plays out of the end zone. Uh, Chris Peterson makes the call and puts in Jake Hayner. So he's pulling senior quarterback Jake Browning, who's, I don't know what, Pac-12's all-time leading passer by now, probably. I somewhere think Somewhere close. Yeah. Uh, and puts in redshirt freshman Jake Hayner, who's played barely anything. Um, and he looks like a little boy. Like, if you're watching the TV feed, just got these wide eyes, still got baby fat, like, just looks like a baby out there. Um, looks completely panicked. Uh, they have to burn a timeout. This comes into play later. Uh, they have to burn a timeout, dealing with him. And uh, then on third and eight at the, uh, at the Washington 25, he throws the ball over the middle, dropping linebacker Evan Weaver, grabs it, Runs it back into the into the end zone for the score, um, and Cal misses the PAT, and then Washington comes back out and puts Jake Hayner in there again on the next drive. Um, they're basically able to do nothing on that uh, on that drive. He makes one pass, but also almost gets picked again, and then he's pulled back for Browning again after that. So I'm of a few minds on this one. I want to hear your thoughts. Um, I've always been a huge Drake. Jake Browning fan. I don't see why you would take him out. Um, <laughs> I, I'm I'm not going to be hypocritical here. Like I like it when coaches, if they feel that you need to mix things up for whatever reason, I don't care. I mean, it could be as simple as change the food, change the music at practice. If, if you got to do something different, you got to do it. And I think if Chris, you know, Chris Peterson, smart enough guy, if he felt that was the best decision going forward. Hey, we got to, we got to make a move here and just shake things up on offense a little bit. Obviously you're hoping not to throw a pick six in a game where points are at such a premium. Um, and I think sometimes coaches can get a little stubborn because I believe he came into that drive and they were backed up at like their own 11, that maybe it would have been better to wait till the next drive or when you get the ball, you know, in a better situation. So I'm not going to like, I don't have an issue with it. I mean, obviously you look at the results and that's the reason you lost the game. Uh, but I, you know, I'm not going to criti be critical of, Hey, you shouldn't have tried to make a move. Maybe not at the time that you did it. Um, but I didn't really have an issue with it. What do you think? Um, I think I didn't have an issue with it and I would feel better about justifying it if he'd left Hainer in the game. Uh, fair. 
Like, I, I know he was making mistakes, but if you felt that confident that he could come into a 7-6 game against Cal, um, where the North isn't quite at stake, because I think Washington actually still technically controls its own destiny. Um, if they beat Washington State and Sanford, they, they win the North. So they still control their own destiny. It wasn't like a must-must-win, except for any lingering playoff hopes, but those were probably mostly crazy anyway. Um but I, I would think if you're if you're confident enough that he can come into a close Pac-12 game and do enough to let you win, then it's still a one-score game at that point, and you didn't you didn't like enough of what you saw Browning, and I thought that was completely justified. Browning has regressed badly this year. As a sophomore, he was very good when he had John Ross, but I also thought he made better decisions as a sophomore. Uh, then last year we started to see some cracks, um, and he didn't have John Ross, but also his decision making worse. And this year I think it's gotten to its worst point. So I think it's justified. You, you really shouldn't have a senior quarterback still making the mistakes that he does. Um, when it's a redshirt freshman in his first play or his first drive, um, throwing a pick six that happens. I mean, that's what happens when you throw in a freshman who's never played before. Um, but if he's a guy you liked enough that you were willing to put him in, then just keep him in there. And yeah. that's that's just going to be your guy for the rest of this game and then reevaluate next week. But I don't think it does anybody, anybody's confidence any good. Hainers, Brownings, anybody's to do musical chairs in the middle of the game. Um, I think that's not a great look. I, I think Mike Leach was doing a little bit of that last year. Um, and I don't know if that was great. Um, but I, I think there's a lot of uh, just you, you don't you don't want to do that. I think Cal was doing it at the beginning of the year. Uh, musical chairs. Now they've settled on Chase Garbers, and you know this was not a great offensive showing, but they played pretty well. Um, so, yeah. For no That's no my offensive, on it. yeah, no offensive touchdowns, and Cal still wins. Pretty crazy. And this offense for Washington just looks broken. Now we know it's a good Cal defense, um, but you know they had a really good. I think it was the opening drive. Uh, they converted like three third downs and a fourth down, uh, but after that the Cal defense kind of shored up and they just were getting off the field. They weren't allowing those kind of conversions and they kept getting the ball back for the offense. Not that the offense could do anything. Um, and then there was a weird one late in the game. Do you remember that uh, Browning, you know, they're trying to come back Browning through what looked like an interception, uh, but it was dropped. But if it was a, if it was an interception, it actually would have been a break for Washington because it would have been fumbled. And then Washington would have got the ball back. I think it was a fourth down play anyway. Um, Washington would have got the ball back uh, and they would have had a, a chance to score there. So uh, 250 total yards, uh, offensive yards for Washington. That's just not good enough. Um, they've been averaging 25, uh, 26 and a half points per game this season. So that's 10 less than they did last year and 15 less than they did in 2016. So the offense is certainly nowhere near where it should be, but no, no miles Gaskin. Uh, no tight end Hunter Bryant. Uh, Chico McClatcher, I think he's out, the wide receiver. Uh, I think he's out for personal reasons right now. And and, and Trey Adams, the tackle. So there's, they're missing some spots, but some pieces, but it's there's it should be better. And then uh, Chris Fetters, I think, tweeted this out. He said, former Washington quarterback and current ESPN analyst Brock Heward tweeted out about an hour or so removed from the result that there's just something way off about the combination of Chris Peterson, Bush Hamden, and Jake Browning this year. The irony is that 2018 was going to be the year where said brain trust was going to be the thing that propelled the offense forward in a year when they didn't have quite the number of playmakers they had in the past. It was going to be Peterson's offensive genius combined with Hamden's youthful verve and 
Browning's cool as the other side of the pillow persona that would scheme yards and points into existence. That hasn't happened. So that was from our buddy uh, Chris Fetters. He wrote that. Yeah, I, I, I you know, it's it, it was really weird watching this on the sideline when when Browning got pulled. The like conversation that was happening between him and Peterson did Ooh. not seem cool, cal- <laughs> cool, cool, calm, and collected. That was, you know, Browning asking for answers and he was not getting them. Um, and I just, you know, you got to be. I, I, this season's probably not going the way Washington would have loved. Um, and you have to be a little bit careful about the team chemistry stuff, I think. Um, cause pulling, pulling any old quarterback, I think is, yeah, whatever. Um, uh, but pulling a guy who's put together the, the production that Browning has, we'll say that, um, I think that's a different deal and you have to be a little bit more careful and judicious about how you do it. And maybe that's the case. Maybe they have been careful and judicious and waiting this long is, you know, and I think that's a justifiable case to be made. There was a point last year where it might have been justified to pull Browning because he was not playing well last year either. So I don't know. I'm of, I'm of a few different minds. I don't think Peterson handled it well in game. I think he could have, I think, I think it was either stick with Browning and then get Hainer ready for the next game because you're just like, this isn't going to work and we need to try something different or, um, switch to Hainer and then keep him in for the rest of the game and then reevaluate. I don't, I don't think what they did was, uh, necessarily the right thing you know i joked in the pregame that these two teams were basically the same team um i joked in the preview and it turned out that oh my god you were right if you look at the stat lines they are (laughs) identical teams in this game um like each of them had uh, so it was 33 carries for 91 yards for washington 36 carries for 91 yards for cal uh cal had 24 pass attempts for 151 yards washington had 25 for 159 yards just the same damn team. They play the same damn defense and both teams decided to get more aggressive on defense in this one. Neither of these teams are great at getting to the quarterback or creating tackles for loss, but Washington had four sacks and nine tackles for loss. Cal had two and eight tackles for loss. Like they just simultaneously decided they were going to be the exact same team. This game It was great. Insane. Insane. Um, but you did call that one. Okay. So that was Cal that we had at number six. Washington was number four. Uh, we already talked about number five, Oregon. Uh, now we have number three. Like, this team's number three. Like, do you really agree with it? But I don't know who else you would put there. Stanford Cardinal. And uh, they were taking on our new number one team. Washington State Cougars. You know, I do think Stanford is probably my clear number three at this point. Um, okay. they, fi- they figured some things out in this game. Um, I think they... I think David Shaw finally, finally, finally realized that this is a pass to set up the run team and not the opposite. Um, they threw the ball 43 times in this one with KJ Costello. Um, so they lost 41-38 to Washington State. Washington State mounted a great comeback in the second half. They look fantastic. Gardner Minshew is, um, I think he's an NFL quarterback. I think Mike Leach hit the grad transfer market and wound up with some random dude from East Carolina who, oh, yeah, just so happens to be the best quarterback in the Pac-12. And it's not just he's in an air raid. Like, if you look at the decisions he's making, the mobility he has in the pocket, he's an NFL guy. I don't know if he's going to be like a longtime NFL starter, but I think he's going to get drafted. Dude can play. Anyway, uh, but Stanford figured things out offensively. Uh, KJ Costello, 34-43 for four touchdowns. I mean, they finally realized... We need to open up a game, just throw into our Sega White side, throw into Smith, throw into Trent Irwin, who was balling in the first half, especially. 
Um, and they were moving the ball really, really easily on Washington State basically the whole game. Uh, in the second half, it got a little bit tougher. Um, Washington State made some adjustments, but um, that even opened up some running room. This is one of the better rushing days for Stanford. Bryce Love had a big run, 43 yards. He only carried the ball six times. He's still a little dinged up. Um, but it was they, – they. I think they need to build on that identity. They're going to be a pass to throw to, to, uh, to set up the run team. Um, but Washington State, they mounted a great comeback in this one. They were not playing super sharp in the first half. Just the execution of the offense just didn't look too great. Um, you know, just not necessarily, you know, in sync, um, throwing a little bit too far underneath, not just not making things happen. And then in the second half, they really put it together. And, you know, it's not like they're doing a whole lot different from a scheme standpoint. Mike Leach is basically calling the same plays all game long, but um, they were hitting it much better from an execution standpoint in the second half. Uh, Desmond Patman was great. Jameer Calvin had a great run after catch for 54 yards in this one. Um, but they did their usual thing. They spread the ball around to 10 different receivers. 10 different receivers for 40 receptions. It's great. Great. All right. Um, I, we had to pause there for a second because breaking news was going on on my timeline. I was getting all these texts and stuff. So USC made some news, uh, David. Uh, a little shocked by this. Uh, Clay Helton has fired Neil Calloway, his offensive line coach, which is basically his uncle. Uh, you know, his whole family, they're very close. He has now fired Tim Drevno. will move over and coach the offensive line. He's the running backs coach. They're going to have graduate assistants help him do that. So that seems a little strange. You're going to have one guy coaching offensive line and running backs. And T. Martin will no longer be calling plays. He'll still be the offensive coordinator, but Clay Helton is taking that over. Uh, this is a four and four team. I kind of think this is probably a little, you know, too little, too late sort of situation, but he's making a move. And I, I asked him on his conference call last night if he was going to make any big moves now that you're four and four. And he said, no, they were going to just prepare for Oregon State and uh, reevaluate after the season. But obviously that was not the case. Yeah, I wonder if he had any uh, real say in that. Um, uh, this will fix it, though. I feel pretty good about it. I think this will fix everything. Helton will get it rolling and you know, he just needs more time. That's my thought on it. <laughs> like 10 to 15 more years, I think. And then they'll really be rolling again. Yes. <laughs> this is uh this is crazy, but I, you know, is it coming from somewhere above? There's no, we talk about this, no leadership kind of thing going on right now at USC because there's no president. There's an interim president. You don't know what Lynn Swan's thinking, the athletic director. Um, so I don't know. This is uh, this is kind of strange. We'll see uh, what ends up happening. I don't know if this is good or bad. If you're an Oregon State fan, that they've at least shaken things up a little bit. But Clay Held will be calling the plays. It's no longer going to be uh, T. Martin, which is weird because after that game, you felt like they called a pretty good game on offense. Um, but I don't know. It was weird. Okay, so we were talking. Sorry to interrupt. Our this was our Stanford Washington State. Uh, yeah. Um, Early 14-point lead for Stanford. And Mike Leach, I think, said after the game, said, we got him right where we want him. Um, Stanford was scored early. Uh, and they they looked really good. But Washington State just kind of hung around. They kind of they knew what to expect. Uh, this is a weird thing when, you know, Bryce Love played some of this game, but he's just not doing anything that you'd even want to mention him anymore, right? Like, has he had a huge... He had, he had, he had one really big run. He did he have one, one yeah. Yard. Um, but just not much. It's just weird. Like for him to be that big of a part of the offense, but you felt like 
David Shaw was kind of going to rely on what's been working, and that was nice, you know, to score some early points there. Um, really huge one. Like late in the game, you start watching. Um, I think Stanford scored a little bit too early at the end, like about a minute left or so, giving Gardner Minshew, I think, just just over a minute. Um, and you felt like Stanford's going to get a stop. It was third and two. The, the, the second down play was kind of weird for Washington State. It was like a run play. Third and two, Gardner Minshew throws this low percentage, 35-yard strike down the middle of the field, and you're just like, wow, that was pretty, that was pretty incredible. Um, yeah, they didn't just try to pick up the first down. They wanted to get down into uh, Stanford territory, and they did that. So I thought it was pretty impressive what he was able to do. He started off in the second half. He completed his first 19 passes. He ended up 24 of 27 in the second half, and I think two of them were like throwaways at the end. Um, overall, he was 40 of 50 for 438 yards and three touchdowns. His, that's his fifth game over 400 yards. Uh, but Stanford, they only scored 10 points in the second half. They had to, uh, score a little bit more to try to keep Washington state at bay. Cause once they got rolling, uh, it was really tough. And there was only one turnover in this game. It was a Stanford fumble in the first half that led to a, uh, Washington state, uh, touchdown, but. 10 different receivers for Washington State had at least two catches. Like, that's pretty insane. And this is the third time in a row that uh, Washington State's beat Stanford. So props to Washington State. I thought they played a really good game. This was the the marquee matchup in the in the Pac-12, obviously, this week. And it was on the Pac-12 network. Um, but Washington State just looks like a legit team to me now, David. Absolutely. Absolutely. They, uh, they look great. Um, I think Utah's playing better right now. Um, I know the head to head Washington state has that, but, right. uh, they, they're, they're no worse than number two in the league right now for me. Yeah. These, those are the two, the clearly the best teams right now. Um, I like the way they're both playing and I think that would be a great, uh, if they can both take care of business and avoid some of the landmines in the pac 12, I think it'd be better off for the conference. If both those teams win out and they get to play each other. Um, I think Washington State, if they can win out and beat a good Utah team in the championship, has a legit chance now. The Big 12 is kind of a mess, but they have a legit chance to make the playoff. So that's that's pretty cool. Uh, there's there's and I, I, I what is what is sports but the opportunity to hope? I think there's still there is still a scenario where Utah could make it. It just requires full chaos. Like yeah. it requires one of the Big Ten West teams winning the Big Ten while doling out like a third loss to the East team or a second loss to the East team that doesn't win. Um, if if Utah's a conference winner with two losses and both the Big 12 and Big Ten eliminate themselves, then they're in. It's just that's what's going to happen. Um, but it just requires it requires a lot more spreading of some losses. But it can happen. So they get BY. So the problem is the, um, the uh, out-of-conference – Slate, uh, Weber State, and uh, NIU. I don't think it'll matter. I mean, I I really don't. Once you get down to whether or not you're going to pick them over like Big Ten West, who Northwestern? Like, what if North if Northwestern wins the Big Ten title game? There's no way they're sending Northwestern to the uh, the playoff. They get no way. They get to play Notre Dame if they beat Notre Dame. Um, Does USC have to beat Notre Dame to get them out of there? I think so. The thing is, I think Notre Dame is in unless they lose twice. At this point, um, Ooh, they need to lose. Okay. They need to lose a couple of games because I think you can explain away one loss. Okay. Uh, 
And I think they've played a, they've played well enough. They beat Michigan, and that's looking like one of the best wins in college football this year. And from what we've seen over the playoff team, the playoff committee over the years, they don't really care about who you lost to. Like it's not necess- It's just who did you beat? Yeah. Uh, and they've got a really great win. Um, well, they, so the the be BYU nice. game at the end. That's a team that's all over the place right now. Uh, they just lost to Northern Illinois seven to six. So um, they got crushed by Utah State, who's good. Uh, they beat Hawaii. They got crushed by Washington. Uh, I don't know. So it's not like that's going to be a feather in their cap at the end of the season. No. So, All right. So we'll we see. should we preview these games? Let's preview the games. All right. So the uh, let's see. We have six more games. Are there any more bye weeks left? Or are we going to have like six every week now? I, think, I don't know. I don't think there's. I don't know if there's any bye weeks. Okay. So first one uh, we have. Colorado Buffaloes. On the road, taking on Arizona Wildcats. All right. This game is Friday at 7.30 p.m. on FS1. Hopefully it's not superseded by truck racing. Colorado traveling to Tucson to take on Arizona. Colorado 5-3, and three, but looking yeah, a little rough the last couple of weeks. Arizona 4-5, and five, but looking quite a bit better over the last couple of weeks. Uh, that may explain this line, which has Arizona favored by four points at home against Colorado. Uh, I don't think we have any clarity on LaVisca Chenault's situation, um, his injury, how long he's going to be out. Um, they, he was questionable two weeks ago, questionable last week. And I think he's still listed as questionable this week. Um, without knowing whether he's going to be back and knowing that Arizona has surged of late, that UCLA game, I, I made this point uh, then, they were like 80% to win that game uh, from that win expectancy thing I keep talking about. Uh, they should have beaten UCLA on the road. They did beat the hell out of Oregon at home. Uh, give me Arizona minus four. Yeah, it's hard not to to pick the Wildcats here. You figure they've they've got some things figured out. What is how does Colorado bounce back from blowing a 28 point second half lead against Oregon State? So now they got to go on the road in Tucson. You know, so what basically what's going to happen, Dave, is Arizona is going to lay an egg and Colorado is going to look like the Colorado. Yeah, Col- uh, yeah. Colorado is going to win by 21 points. Yeah. But I'm going to pick Arizona minus four. My, I am going to do the same thing. Fully expecting Colorado to to Arizona look so much worse than they did last weekend and Colorado to look so much better. Than they did. So that's the Pac-12 in a nutshell, but it's hard for me to not go Arizona on this one, even though I know the opposite's going to happen. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Next up, uh, we have Utah Utes. On the road, taking on Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> okay, so this game's on Saturday at 1 p.m. Um, this one must be on the Pac-12. Come on. This one's on the Pac-12 network. It's on the why? Pac-12 network, yes. Why? Do, why? 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 This is this is actually a, a, the marquee team in the Pac-12 in November, Utah. Uh, they, they should not be on the Pac-12 network. Anyway, number 16, Utah, going on the road to Tempe to take on Arizona State. This might be the first home day game for Arizona State this year. I think We've so. We've November now, so I think they can finally start having games in the day. Um this one has, and so this is important, Arizona State, as we've talked about, only loses games by seven points. What is the line on this game? Seven points? 
Utah minus seven. Mm. Mm. If I could call a push, I would. Uh, so I think Utah wins the game. They are playing at such a high level, such a high level. But Arizona State plays teams close. No matter if they're playing bad, playing great, they play teams close. Um, I think they're going to be able to muck it up a little bit against Utah. Um, I'm pretty I'm pretty bullish on Arizona State's coaching generally. Like they're scheming on both sides of the ball. Um, I think they do an okay job. Um, I think they've gotten some poor play out of the quarterback position this year. And offensively, I'm maybe not as confident. But defensively, um, I like that San Diego State coaching tree. Um, I like Danny Gonzalez. Um, I think they'll be able to slow down this Utah uh, offense a little bit more than other teams have. But I'm still going to go Utah minus seven. They're just playing at such a high level. Uh, like I said before, they're uh, no Pac-12 team is playing better this year. And I don't think there was a Pac-12 team that was playing better over a four-game stretch than Utah's played over the last four games. Yeah, so I, I'm going to pick Utah minus seven. I think Utah still puts up 40 again. Uh, even though Arizona State's defense has been great, they you know they gave up more than. 28 to USC, but um, they gave up 35 to USC. But before that, they had only given up 28 points all year. That's the most. But I feel like this Utah team is going to be able to do that. They're well balanced. I think you're going to see Huntley be able to take off and run and make some good plays. I, I just like the way they're playing. So I think they're going to cover the, the seven uh, fairly easily in this one. But I think Arizona State, like you said, they've been playing better. I think they're a well-coached team. All the the grief we gave to Herm Edwards, like they're they're they look like they're uh, they know what they're doing. So, uh, props to ASU, but I just think they're going to run into a buzzsaw at Utah uh, against Utah at home. Absolutely. All right. Uh, next up, we have UCLA Bruins on the road, uh, taking on Oregon Ducks. Okay, so this one's on at 4.30 on Big Fox for whatever reason. Like, why Why is this game on national television? But we're going to have to, like, deal with a bunch of people saying, oh, I can't watch the Utah game. I mean, it's just, who wants to watch these teams right now? <laughs> uh, UCLA going on the road to Autzen. That's the only reason this game is on national television is that they want to see Chip Kelly's reaction. To, I don't know, coaching in the same stadium he used to coach in. Yeah. It's on Big Fox. UCLA two and six. Oregon five and three. Both teams not looking great of late. Um, Oregon opened minus thirteen. It has since moved to minus eight and a half, largely because Justin Herbert and Dylan Mitchell are both in concussion protocol, which means, as we've seen most of this year, when you're in concussion protocol, you're probably not playing the next week, um, especially when it's announced. Um, so that's. So UCLA beat Oregon last year largely because Justin Herbert didn't play. Um, is UCLA capable of doing that on the road in Eugene? I don't know. But Oregon's offense looks broken enough with Justin Herbert that I'm really concerned about it without him. And especially without Dylan Mitchell, their one true receiving threat. Uh Given that um, and Oregon's defense not looking great this year, and I'm not at all confident in UCLA. I think they are looking really bad themselves, but I, I think I've got to take UCLA plus eight and a half here. I just don't see any reason why Oregon's going to be able to score a bunch without Herbert and without Mitchell. That's their number one receiving threat and number one by a wide margin and their number one quarterback, number one by a wide margin. So give me UCLA plus eight and a half. Yeah, I was hoping we could get the 12 or 13 or whatever it was before, but I'll take the eight and a half. I'm, I'm convinced at this point that if I'm not sure, just give me the points. Um, I don't know who's going to come out and play well on this one. 
I took two underdogs the last day. It's like, why am I doing that? Don't take the underdogs. Give me points. I'll take UCLA on the road with a struggling Oregon squad. Um, you want to talk about games that you went on national TV, David? Uh, here's one. Stanford Cardinal. Up in Seattle, taking on Washington Huskies. What is this TV schedule? Like, what is this? Uh, Pick your two anyway, favorite games and put those on the Pac-12 network. 6 p.m., uh, Stanford. This is like a huge Pac-12 North game. Washington, if it gets this part done, they only have to beat Washington State, and obviously went out, but they only have to beat Washington State, and that I think it's Oregon State after this one. Um, but this is one of their two elimination games. If they lose this one, it's going to be really tough. Um, so 6 p.m. on the Pac-12 network, Stanford traveling to Washington. Uh, both teams still fighting for the North. Uh, Stanford obviously behind a little bit now because Washington State just won. Uh, Washington is favored by eight and one half points. Um, I don't know about that one. Uh, Stanford. I think is starting to figure things out offensively. As I talked about before, I think David Shaw has figured out this is going to be a pass to set up the run team. Washington is in the process of figuring, not figuring anything out offensively at all. Um, they looked atrocious uh, last week offensively. Um, they've thrown in some quarterback confusion now, and uh, I don't know what to make of them. So Stanford's defense hasn't been great this year. Washington should be able to score a little bit, but I think Stanford will be able to keep pace um, to an extent. Um, I like Stanford to cover this. I don't know if I like him to win, but I like him to cover the eight and a half. So give me Stanford plus eight and a half. hundred percent. Give me Stanford plus eight and a half in this one. More than a touchdown. Uh, yeah, I'm not, I, you know, who knows, but I, I got to take Stanford here. I just feel like it's going to be close no matter what. I don't know who's going to win, but if you're going to give me more than a touchdown, I'm all over that. So let, let's go. We're agreeing again. We've agreed on everything so far. So far we have. So. Okay. So. Uh, maybe I'll switch something up here. Okay. Oh, we've got another one we're going to agree on right here. Yeah, 100%. We have USC Trojans. On the road in Corvallis, taking on Oregon State Beavers. And this game is on like actual TV. <laughs> and I'm going to watch it and I'm going to really enjoy it, but it's. Anyway, 7 p.m. on FS1, USC traveling to Corvallis to take on Oregon State. USC is favored by 14 points on the road against Oregon State, a team that just lit up Colorado. I think not only – okay, I, I've said this a lot this year, and every time I say it, Oregon State then loses by like just a million at home. I think they can win this game. Like I think they can throw the ball over – that USC defense, they showed up in – so USC is like this weird thing. They They – get very front-running at times. When things are going well, they play really well on all sides of the ball. And I know that sounds like a circular thing, but it's like if one good thing happens for them offensively, suddenly everybody plays well. But if things aren't going well on like one play, suddenly everyone just plays like just crap. And they opened this this game against um, ASU just playing like dog doo-doo. And I think they could do that again against Oregon State. So um, I'm going to take Oregon State plus 14, and I, I'm not ruling out the possibility they win the game. I'm going to agree with you there, David. You know I love to pick USC in these situations. No, never. <laughs> um, <laughs> 14 points? Are you out of your mind? Like, <laughs> like 
no, like they're no, like they're give me those points. Like I, I really had a hard time. Or every time I get Oregon State, they just screw me somehow with their picks. Like it's either they're going to cover this huge spread easily, and then they give up a whole bunch of points at the end. Or this last week, they're not going to cover the huge spread, and then they come back and do it. Um, Fourteen points on the road. There's all this shakeup and stuff. Um, it, yeah, I. I fine Vegas. If you want to do this, it's like I think this is free money. So I'm going to take Oregon State along with you, David. I I, I nothing else to say about that. They've beaten one team this year by more than 14 points. Yeah, and this one is team. on the road after you've lost two in a row. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Okay. Uh. Let's see. So that's our that's second to last game. Our last game we have a team that's been super consistent all year, David. California Golden Bears. <laughs> <laughs> taking on on the road Washington State Cougars that's top 10 Washington State you're talking about <laughs> put some respect on their name uh 745 on ESPN finally justifiably on ESPN this is top 10 Washington State we're talking about Cal going on the road to Pullman um Washington State is favored by 10 and a half points um I don't know so Washington State's playing really, really well right now, but Cal has figured some stuff out the last couple of weeks. Um, Washington State's defense isn't great. Cal can probably score a little bit more than they scored against Washington, I'm guessing. Um, but Washington State's offense is playing pretty lights out. Cal hasn't been sustainably in the backfield, and Gardner Minshew is really good about avoiding pressure when it comes. So I'll take Washington State minus ten and a half. I don't. This is probably the one I feel least good about today. So it's probably the one where Washington State will cover by about forty. But um, <laughs> I, I I don't feel great about it because I think Cal's been playing pretty well of late. But um, yeah, give me the Cougars. I, I sort of just to be different. I'm going to take Cal. Um, no reason besides it's a lot of points and the Pac-12 is screwy and. It's hard to turn them down a lot of points like that when you figure, ah, you know, could Cal go up and win? They could, you know, like, well, if they're going to get 10 out points, I think I'll take the points. Um, fully expecting Washington State to boat race them by 40, but this will be your chance to tie it up or me take a two-game lead, David. So I, I will go opposite you and and take the Golden Bears. And this is how it is late in the season. You know, we're, we're, just, we're just fighting for that little bit of a marginal win in our contest. You know, well, I just wanted our like picks to be a little bit better. Just the small adjustments, those small adjustments at this point in the season, Ryan. That's that's how you win. That's how you win games. Uh, I'm just kind of mad that hours. I asked Clay Helton specifically last night. You know, now not like he would like. Yeah. Oh, Ryan, is this the first time a coach has lied to you? <laughs> and I'm I'm not kidding. Also, he might not have met with anybody yet. Like he might not have met with the whoever above him told him that he needed to make some changes. Yeah. I mean um, that that might very well he might have had no intention of doing that. Well, it he doesn't does, really it doesn't really make sense to ditch the play caller and offensive line coach after again probably the second best offensive performance for USC this year. Like that doesn't make a whole lot of sense unless it was pressure from the top. Yeah, and he does meet with uh Lynn Swan on Mondays, so maybe that was the uh hey, you know, you got to do something. Yeah. Uh, you're going to be gone otherwise, but um, interesting. Well, yeah, I think Joey Coffin tweeted out like 
Clay Hilton said Sunday evening he would evaluate potential staff changes at the end of the season. Something changed in 24 hours. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Very strange. Well, let's get, so I kind of have to do some work and you need to go. So let's, let's try to answer these questions, uh, quickly in rapid fire mode. If that works for you. All right. We'll start with Richard. UCLA is an acronym for you clowns lose again. Sorry, Dave. I'm a fan, but even we use it anyway. That's for 20 years of shit does BBS lives for now, but I think Ch- chip will give it a stay. This was obviously sent before UCLA lost by 31 points to Utah at home. <laughs> but we were asking for, I don't think we got really any other ones, but like, uh, no, the but, acronyms, but I guess some of the schools don't have acronyms. You know what I mean? Right. So there's, there's less of that. Well, uh, here's I'll, a, I, I, yeah, oh. I guess they do. I guess they all do. Yeah. Uh, uni- like university of zeros, like the, the Oregon one, people talk about, you know, a million, yeah, a million uniform combinations, zero national championships. Like you see those kind of signs and stuff and stuff like that. Uh, UCLA coverage, Ryan and David, I usually listen to the podcast while riding my bike. So the wind in my ears may have made me miss something. Does David cover UCLA from Atlanta, Georgia? If so, how does that work? How does he cover practice and other local issues as they relate to his quote unquote team? Full credit on the podcast. Fight on. Dan in Coronado, California. Well, I don't cover any practices. Um, so we've got a bunch of other people who do that stuff. And then I glean whatever I do. But mostly what I do is I stay up until the wee hours and I watch all these stupid football games. They're all terrible. And uh, yeah, I talk to some people and that's 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 more or less what I do. But I'm doing it probably more as a part time side thing now than I was three years ago. It's probably the best uh, description for what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. When we started off, it was so. it's just a little bit different. So, yeah. But Dave's still involved, obviously. Obviously, I'm recording this for two hours every week. Uh, all right. This is from Alex in Santa Barbara. POC and the Solid Verbal. Hey, Dave and Ryan. I know you're both listeners to the Solid Verbal. And last week, they put out a call to have people contact them about doing a deep dive into teams they are familiar with. I totally think you two should reach out to them to do an L.A. school or even Pac-12 episode with them. It would bring more coverage to national fans that get little Pac-12 content and might get the POC brand out to a wider audience. Thoughts? Thanks for all your hard work and go Bruins. I didn't hear this. Um, I don't know if they're looking for just fans. Are they getting like writers that are supposed to? I don't know. I'm not sure what the. I know they've been doing those like fan deep dives with like they did one. Dan did one with somebody for Oregon. I think it was Jeff Schwartz. And they were doing one. I think Ty did one with uh, Mike Golick for Notre Dame. But I don't. I don't know. I, I'll have to listen to the episode and see. Okay. Um, I don't think I got that one. But thanks. Yeah, we. I. I they haven't really. I've been on that show before, but it's been it's been a while since they do that. Um, but yeah, they're good stuff. I love I love the show. I like to listen to it every week. Uh, podcast question from Anthony. Hi Ryan and Dave. Which coach would you rather have at UCLA and USC? Mike McIntyre or Mike Leach? I think we answered that one last week. I think that was... So Google does this weird thing. I'm going to take you guys all behind the curtain now. Um, They shoot an email up to the top of your inbox if you didn't reply to it, which is not the way we use this email account for the Pac-12 podcast. We never reply to anything. It's, you know, it's... I mean, I do that in my normal email, but in the Pac-12 podcast email, we don't reply to things. And now Gmail does this stupid thing where they move an email up to the top and says, hey, do you want to reply to this? Is that what that is? It's a horrific feature. 
Take it away. Take it away, it's Google. awful. Nobody wants that. Email is already oppressive enough. I don't need to see all of the things I haven't responded to. <laughs> we don't respond to anything, so I don't know why. Yeah, but like imagine that. Like imagine like in your workspace, like say you use a Google account and you're just like, oh, God, I got to like prioritize stuff. And then you're just constantly getting nudged with all the things you haven't done. Like think about that. Horrific feature. Horrific. Anyway. Uh, I do anyway. think, yeah, I think – McIntyre probably works better in the LA markets than Leach, but it would be more fun to cover Leach if we didn't cover that already. I think we did. Yeah. Uh, do you want me to do the next one or you got it? You want... I'll do it. Okay. Browning versus Huntley. Uh, dear Ryan and Dave, did you know Jake Browning's, oh, this is from Thomas. Uh, did you know Jake Browning's coach in high school was none other than Utah's offensive coordinator, Troy Taylor? I actually did not know that. Interesting. I point this out because the Utes offense has steadily improved this season thanks in large part to the play of dual-threat QB Tyler Huntley. Browning's play, meanwhile, seems to be stagnating under Chris Peterson's watch. It seems like Taylor has been able to evolve from the spread-style offense he ran coaching high school to his new situation far better than Jake, use your noodle, Browning has. My guess is that it is because it's far easier for Taylor to mix the spread-style offense he ran coaching high school with a dual-threat QB than for Washington to incorporate a spread-style QB into its pro-style offense. Does this sound right to both of you? Have either of you seen other teams have these issues, or do you think the cause is something else? Bueller, keep up the great work. I think that's as fair an explanation as any. Um, I don't think Jake Browning is a great fit for what that Washington offense has maybe evolved into. Um, I think they're trying to do a lot of that multi-look stuff that UCLA fans are getting familiar with, and I don't, I don't love it from a scheme standpoint. I don't think it's a differentiator, and I think Washington doesn't necessarily get the top endish enough talent to run what is effectively a pro style scheme. Um, I think you need to have something that's kind of your bread and butter. Um, and I, I think they just want to be so balanced and so, you know, kind of able to do whatever that it just, I don't think they necessarily have the top, uh, the across the board talent to do it. Um, and I, I think Browning, I don't know that he's a perfect fit. Um, we'll see what I guess Jacob Easton's able to do next year. Um, he might be a better fit for it, but, um, yeah, I don't think Browning has turned into a good fit for it. I don't. I also think Browning has just regressed. I mean, he was better. He was. He looked like a fine fit for it two years ago. Yeah. And I don't. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how much the offense has changed in that time. I, I, I probably haven't watched closely enough to know. Um, maybe somebody else can fill us in, but um, I think he's just kind of regressed as a player as well. Yeah, and it's tough. I, I, we, I think we see that a lot though. Is that sometimes you get these spread. You know, most of it's a spread concepts and zone read things and. Uh, you get a quarterback you like that's that's really good in the pocket, but not necessarily as mobile. Um, or you get a really good quarterback who you don't want to run as much because you're afraid of him getting hurt. And it just seems like that just, I don't know. It's it's almost like if you want to run it, like you just want to make sure you saw what Manny Wilkins was able to do when he takes off and run. Or we've seen Tyler Huntley do that. It's just such more, the, the offense is so much more effective when that quarterback is a running threat. And then sometimes they just kind of get away from that. So um, we'll see, but I didn't know, uh, Troy Taylor was his high school coach. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. Uh, cool. cool stuff. Extra days off. Uh, this is from, let's see, Richard. Hello, Pac-12 fans. This is a Trojan fan from Sin City and the P. I have to ask this, even though I know it doesn't matter too much. Did the fact that Stanford, Utah and Arizona state all having at least one extra day off before playing USC, give them any kind of unfair advantage? 
Uh, somehow it doesn't seem like the Pac-12 is showing any kind of parity in scheduling once again this season. I understand with this coaching staff, it doesn't help even if USC was given a week off before each of these games. But some someone somewhere higher up needs to see this and realize what a load of crap it is for the kids. Only some teams get extra time off before games and others don't. USC was given a week off before... Um, let's, oh, I'm sorry about that. Uh, one other question to you. Would the Pac-12 championship game be better... Uh, in the new Las Vegas Raiders Stadium 2020 or flip-flop every season between the new Rams Stadium in L.A. and Levi Stadium in the Bay Area. Keep up the uh, with the Pac-12 footprint at least. Keeping in with the Pac-12 footprint at least. As always, uh, enjoy the podcast every week from you guys. Can't wait to see how many teams lose again this bowl season. P.S. David, uh, he's F-U-C-L-A still sucks is what he says. Oh, interesting. I think there's a misspelling there. Yeah, the Richard. Typo. Yeah, uh, I didn't. I didn't, I didn't know that the three teams. There was one year that every team USC played in the conference had extra time. Like every, t- it was like six games or something. They all had extra time. Three of them. That's. It seems like a little weird, but I didn't. I didn't even notice that before. I don't know. I, I the quirks of the schedule. I'm sure there's lots of teams that like have that happen to them. I mean, it's just the fact of the matter when you're playing Friday games, Thursday games, it's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, I don't I don't think a single day is that big of a deal at all. I think when you have a bye week before the game, I think that's been proven to have a minimal effect on games. Like there was a statistical analysis on it, but it's not a crazy amount. It's like maybe you'll get two more points, something like that, like over the long haul. Um, But Stanford won by 14. Utah beat the crap out of them and won by 13, but it should have been way more. And ASU, um, they won by three. I mean, maybe. Maybe you can make a claim the ASU game was because they had an extra two days off. But um, no, I, I, I don't think it's a big unfair advantage because I think it all evens out in the end. Um, I think when you're having, you know, every team has to what play two midweek games a year now, one at home, one on the road, something like that. I don't think. Uh, no, some teams only play one. It's, Is that it's, right? Yeah. I think UCO has gotten stuck with uh, two Friday games every season or two Friday and Thursday. Well, anyway, it doesn't really matter. Um, I don't think it's a big deal. And then do you think it's a big deal? No, I think if it's the, like this year, three is like whatever, but the one year it was like six or seven of them. Like that says like, that shouldn't happen. Like everyone shouldn't have an extra day on you. Like that's, that's one of the weird things. So as long as it's not that egregious, then I don't have an issue with it. Yeah. And then uh, would a Pac-12 championship game be better at the new regular? Yeah, obviously. I mean, we, I think we're we're both on board with Vegas. Yeah, Vegas is the best. Do Vegas. Don't I don't do care Vegas. about the Pac-12 foot. For, do Vegas. Absolutely. All right, this is from Joshua. Pac-12. Hey, Ryan and Dave, this is your loyal listener from Arkansas, Joshua. I just want you guys to know that there are people east of the Pacific time zone that hate Larry Scott, too. I just had to miss the Wazoo-Stanford game because of his stupid network. What's worse is when Khalil Tate was ripping off his magical run last season, I missed all those games, too, because, again, they were all on his stupid network. Who has a product that people want yet refuses to sell it? And who does the conference schedule? Why does it seem like every team has back-to-back conference road games? It hurts the competition on the field. I mean, Scott had to be told that playing two in a row on the road with the second one on Friday was a bad idea. So maybe he needs some help. But it doesn't take a genius to work this stuff out. So just of the rant variety, but I support every single word that yeah, you just said. Yeah, it's good stuff. And then this week to have uh, Stanford and Washington on Pac-12 Network and the Utah game. Also Insane. On, yeah, stupid insane 
insane. Insane. Like, USC, Oregon State. I want to watch that game. I think it'll be a lot of fun. That should be the Pac-12 network game. Yeah. UCLA, Oregon. That should be a Pac-12 network game. Crazy. Um, this is from Scott in Washington. ESPN Separation Saturday contribution from the Podcast of Champions. Ryan slash Dave saw ESPN's list of big games next week. Bama, LSU, Penn State, Michigan. And the Pac-12 checks in with Washington State at and Cal, LOL, LOL, LOFL. When can the 16-team Super Conference realignment happen? We merge with the Mountain West and end the charade of uh, being a legitimate Power 5 player in college football. Meanwhile, the presumptive uh, game of the year back in August of Washington and Stanford will be shown on the Pac-12 network that we aforementioned, uh, where by 9 p.m. this Saturday, one team will have four losses and a grade F versus what the expectations were for the start of the season and the other hanging on by DNA-sized strand of grade C only because the conference will play, the conference they play in is so mediocre. And mind you, this happened to both schools after playing nine or ten games, depending on who it is. The boys uh, is what you call a... Uh, I'm sorry. That boys is what you call a failure for either Shaw or Peterson. Now for my question, there's a lot of lead up to that. Uh, a lot of lead up. How is it? <laughs> how is it possible uh, to each year have one or two teams be somewhat legit, then watch games every week where the difference between teams three through ten is negligible, and you could do power rankings just as easily by pulling teams out of a hat, slot them that way, and be just as close. I am baffled how year in and year out so many of our teams are average. Maybe I should look uh, at it like Larry Scott and sell it and call it, uh, I'm sorry, look at it like Larry Scott sells it and calls it a parody. Thanks for the show. Go dogs, Scott in Washington. Oh, yeah. I mean, it is a lot of teams clustered in the middle, like a lot of teams clustered around like just average, just purely, completely average. Um, but like basically every team, but Oregon state and UCLA is at average or better. So it is like, that's why like, it's a tough thing to talk about because it is like, they're, they're pretty good as far as conferences go. Like there's not actually like, if you look at the overall strength of the conference, it's not too different from, I mean, it's way different from the sec. The sec is way better and the ACC is probably way worse. Like go look at that conference sometime. Um, but the issue is the top teams are just not putting it together. Like Washington, they're still ranked super highly in any kind of advanced stat metric because they're like, they do things really efficiently. And when they lose, it's by like, you know, just absolute garbage nonsense that they do. Um, But they're just not putting it together and having like zero and one loss seasons consistently. Um, And, you know, the Pac-12 needs probably another couple of teams that are like that. Uh, Washington State and Utah are putting it together this year, but they're not consistently there. Um, you know, when Stanford and Oregon were both doing it, the Pac-12 was rated pretty highly because both of those teams were playing at an elite level every year. UW is there more or less. They're not necessarily doing it in the win-loss metric, but they're doing it in a lot of other ways. But there needs to be another team that's consistently top 10 and uh, just not happening right now. No, and you need that team to get a big signature win out of conference. Like, there's, all this stuff has to happen. Um, and it's it's not for the Pac-12. It's just, you know, they keep shooting themselves in the foot, and it's just, uh, I don't see an end. <laughs> right no. Now, David. no, no, no. All right, this is from Connor. 
regarding David's question on recovering from year one blowouts. Hi, Ryan and Dave. This is Connor from Long Beach. On David's other podcast, The Brocast, he questioned whether coaches have recovered from multiple season one blowouts like UCLA has now accrued to turn it into a good program. I took a look at Mike Leach's first two years at Washington State. Year one record was three and nine, one and eight in conference with several blowouts, six to 30 to BYU. Uh, 51-26 to, uh, to Oregon, 49-6 to to Utah, and 46-7 to to Arizona State. Year two record was 6-7, and 4-5 and five in conference with several blowouts again in conference, 55-17 to Stanford, 52-24 to Oregon State, 62-38 to Oregon, and 55-21 to ASU. Now, Washington State was a bigger rebuild than UCLA has to currently deal with, so Chip should only get one year of so many blowouts, or it will be a bad sign. But even elite coaches can have many blowouts and still turn the program around from bad to good to elite. I consider this year trending toward elite for Washington State, given the type of program they are. Thoughts? Very fair. And, uh, yeah, I I somehow always skip past Leach, but obviously that turnaround up there was a little bit coming um, the first couple of years, and then they even had that one year where they kind of reverted back. Um, But they... uh, I've definitely turned that into a real program. Um, I Leach already did that exact thing once at Texas Tech, which is the only thing that gives me pause. Kelly took over a program that was already humming and gave it that extra little boost. This is a different job than he's had before, which is basically build something from scratch. And I'm really, I, I'm very curious to see how it goes from here. Um, and that's not me being like facetious or like, cynical about it i'm just curious i i'm not super confident but i'm also not like oh it's not going to happen the way they've gotten beaten this year has been bad and the way the defense looks is not great and i'm just not i'm not seeing enough signs but that doesn't mean they're not there and this could be the classic year zero that just doesn't matter and you throw it out and next year is the time when we should start really paying attention um but you know, you still want to see signs, and I haven't seen many. There have been some. The offense has looked better over the last few games, but um, regressing over the last two has not been uh, not been a wonderful look. Yeah, I think it's, every situation is different. All of this, you know, we, we've seen teams catch on quickly, and, you know, some of it's a complete rebuild, some, you know, complete culture change, and obviously that's what Chip Kelly's doing. Um, I would still put faith in in what he's doing. It's There's some discouraging signs, but I still nothing that would preclude them from – turning this around. So I, I think there are some cases like Connor pointed out, but um, it's, it's more of the exception than the rule. I think you're right. Dave. I think you have a lot of reasons to believe that Chip Kelly could do it, but seeing the, the some of the results, they would, you know, it, it's a reason to give you pause that there's, there's some potential problems there, but I would still uh, feel that, you know, he could, he could turn this around, but seeing those kind of blowout losses are never uh it's really hard to, to recover that. And Mike Leach is a, a specific situation, you know, I, and I think Chip Kelly can be that too. Yeah. All right. Let me do Nick's rundown too. Okay. All right. Hi, this is Nick Kearns from Cyprus, a.k.a. Big Nick 21 USC from the P. Shout out to Ryan, Fireclay, Helton, Larry, Scott, Abraham, and Dave, David, the Fuckla Ruin Woods. Wow. I took last week off because USC lost and was a little depressed. LOL was going to take this week off, but looking at this USC team, they're going to lose more than the last two weeks. They're going to lose more than the last two weeks before season's end and bowl game. They're going to lose more coming up, I Uh, guess. Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, okay. Anyway, uh, yes, (laughs) yes, can we fire Clay Helton, but not to fear my North team who I've liked for the past few years will have Wazoo winning. And if you don't believe me, go back and listen to the podcast. Rundown, Utah 41 versus Fuckla 10. Fuckla jumped out to a quick lead only to get their ass kicked. 
Wazoo 41 versus Stanford 38. The Cougs hopefully represent the Pac-12 in the playoffs. I like Mike Leach and want to hear him give an epic rant on media day for the playoffs. Washington 10 versus Cal 12. Is this baseball or football? Either way, glad Cal could get that W. Hell, that might beat USC on the 10th of November and be bowl eligible. UW is garbage. Uh, Oregon 15 versus Arizona 44. Arizona decided to put the smackdown on Oregon. Duck soup. ASU 38 versus USC 35. Well, the wheels have fallen off at USC with Clay Helton. Good win for ASU Herm Edwards. USC will be lucky to be bowl eligible. OSU 41, Colorado 34. After Colorado was winning by 28 or so, then OSU came back and won the game. I guess OSU isn't garbage. Preview, Arizona over Colorado. Utah over ASU. Oregon big over Fuckla. UW over Stanford. SC over OSU. Washington State over Cal. Question for Dave and Ryan. When are you two going to give the proper respect to Mike Leach as you guys give to Chip Kelly and the UW coach? And last question, who has had the worst season, UCLA or USC? I uh, think we give proper respect to Mike Leach. Yeah, we, we give him props all the time. I mean, he's been number He's one. really good and crazy. That's yeah. it. That's we, all. We love uh, talking to him. He's awesome. Uh, who's worst? Who had a worst season or so far? I mean, mm. record-wise, it's UCLA, but. Obvious record-wise, it's UCLA. I think it's a toss-up when you factor in program expectations. Yeah, expectations, you got to put USC higher. But they're close in our power. I don't even know if it's higher. I just think it's a toss-up. UCLA looking as bad as they've looked, I think, has disappointed a lot of fans. You have have to look at the attendance in the Rose Bowl to see that it's like, it's not great. Yeah. It's not great. The attendance at the Coliseum is not great either, so we'll see. Yeah, not great Um, at all. Yeah, they, they uh, had 47,000 for Arizona State, and then the next day the Rams, like, filled it. Um, it was pretty crazy. There was a lot of Packers fans there too, but still. Uh, let's see, questions from Scott. Uh, let's see, he says, Hey, Ryan and Dave, great podcast. I enjoy hearing your Pac-12 insights and knowledge. I have a little true-false for you this week. Okay, we'll go to this quick. Uh, James Williams, the Wazoo running back, is a pro prospect. I'd say True. I would say false. Really? You don't think so? Um, I'm not in love with him. I think he's a good college player. I think he's fine. Um, but I, I've seen him get arm tackled too much. Okay. And I think when he's not putting up, he's not putting up excellent numbers. They're just good. And when you, when you watch him closely, I, you know, he can make some plays. He, he's got some wiggle to him. I, I'm not going to be shocked if he makes a roster at some point, but I just don't see it from a, draft standpoint we've had a bunch um, of pac-12 guys like philip Lindsay's and the, you know guys are like contributors like not the feature back but he catches the ball well i mean he's in that air raid offense so we'll see but all right uh khalil tate should go pro or transfer false mm, false gardner Minshew is a legitimate heisman candidate true true and uh, and uh, as i said before he, he should be an nfl draft pick yeah uh, Wazoo wins the Apple Cup this year. True. Mm. It's in, it's they're going to be dogs. They're going to be dogs. It's um, in Pullman. Yeah, I know. They're still going to be dogs. Um, I'll take Washington State. All right. So you say true. Justin true. Herbert should go pro at the end of the season. True. False. Really? Yeah. He. he I don't know if they're going to love the way this offense has looked through the last stretch. That's the reason to leave. I know, but I think he's going to want to show a little bit more. I think he's going to get probably dinged for being a, you know, one read quarterback and some other stuff. I think he's very accurate. I don't think Arizona was a good game for him. I think unless he has a really good final stretch of the season, 
Um, I'd say he's still back in Oregon next year. I think the scouts all love him and that's all you need. So like they're, they think he's awesome. Lots of guys love lots of guys at this point in the year. And then they start actually watching the film in January and they're like, Oh no, you're, you're, you'd be best served with another year. I, I think that could happen with Herbert as you know, they start actually watch. there's so much hype this time of year. That's nonsense. Like Josh Rosen was going to be the number one pick. And then he fell to what 11th or whatever. Like it's just there's nonsense at this time of year, and it's just you'd be best served to just wait until the end. All right, I uh, don't. I, I, watching him, I mean, uh, yeah, he's got more tools than like a Gardner Minshew, but I, I don't know from like a cerebral standpoint if he's close to where Minshew is right now, and I think he needs to get closer to that. I just think they like guys that look the part. He looks the part. They, there's enough positives about him that someone will take him uh, yeah. very high, but we'll see. Uh, the Husky season should be considered a bust at this point. And he puts in parentheses. Yay. Uh, not yet. Not yet. Three losses, losing to Cal, losing to a not very good Auburn team. They might still, here, I'm going to look this up real quick because so they, they might still, destiny? they might still technically be the PAC 12 North favorite. Uh, let me see real quick. So they, according to this, uh, you know, the win expectancy stuff, they still have a 45% chance of finishing with seven wins, which means in conference, which means they would win out. Um, that would mean they beat Washington state and beat Stanford. Washington state's chances of finishing with eight wins, um, is 14%. So that would include a win over Washington. Seven wins is 38%, which would probably include a loss to Washington. So I still think Washington is technically the favorite in the North. Now, I test wise, eh, I don't know, but um, technically, I think they're still the favorite. Yeah, it's hard to say it's a bust now if they win the North. So we'll I'll, I'll hold off, but it's it's not looking great for me at this point. It's it's busty. It's getting yeah. close. Uh, Dave, I was bummed to see that the Bruins lost. I was rooting for a slim chance of winning the South. Sorry, Ryan, um, for their slim chance of winning the South. Uh, watching Chip uh, take his team from the ICU to the title game in the same year is the kind of parody that dozens of fans with the Pac-12 <laughs> network pay good money for. Thanks again, and go Cougs. That's from Scott. Awesome, Thanks, Scott. Scott. All right, this is from a man, Hithoday, Bruins of Empires. You like that little pun there? I like it. Uh, I've watched both Oregon's and UCLA's offensive lines getting torn up the last two weeks by similar opponents. The Ducks have two starters out with injuries and are shuffling the tackles around pretty ineffectively. Can you give me the backstory on the Bruins line and which team do you think will field a better line on Saturday? Um, probably UCLA's. Um, I So the last two weeks, I don't think they've been very good. They were looking a lot better against Washington and Cal. Um, but even last week, I mean, they've been able to run the ball still. They were able to run the ball pretty effectively against Arizona. Not great, but pretty effectively. And they were still able to run the ball against Utah, which is actually pretty impressive um, to run the ball at all on uh, on the Utes. Um, they just couldn't get anything going in the passing game uh, consistently. But I think from a pass protection standpoint, they're still majorly a work in progress. Wilton Spate, I think, did a really nice job actually showing some mobility for a big 6'6 guy because um, Utah had him dead to rights a few times where he just kind of leaked out. Um, but run blocking, I think they've been pretty effective. Um, so what happened with UCLA's offensive line is it was really bad early in the season. Um, and then they got boss Tagaloa back from a suspension and he took over at center, which moved true freshman Chris Murray to right guard. And that seemed to solidify a lot of stuff. Um, 
they lost Justin Murphy, their starting right tackle. He's done for the year with a knee injury. Um, and Jake Burton's been playing there not super effectively. Tackle play hasn't been a strong point. Um, but they've been much better running the ball since Tagaloa got in there. And then it, some of it is also the back they have block that they're blocking for. Joshua Kelly has been really, really good. Um, he's probably the best running back nobody's talking about maybe in the country. Um, and he, uh, I think when you've got a decisive runner back there, it makes things just kind of easier for you as an offensive lineman, I think. Um, they're, they just seem to be blocking cause they know, uh, look, if we open up this little crease, he's going to get through and get a, get a nice gain. So I think that's given them a little bit more confidence that they're doing their jobs well. And it just, I think it feeds on itself, but getting boss Tagaloa back was huge. And then I think having Kelly solidify as the starting running back certainly helped. All right. Uh, we got one from John. He said, hi, Dave and Ryan. Uh, is it my imagination or is Larry Scott put together the most interesting, crazy, unpredictable conference in America? Okay. So with the exception of Washington State, having an outside shot and making the playoffs, the Pac-12 is pretty much on the is pretty much off the national radar. But that's okay. All of us Pac-12 fans get to be thrilled and surprised every single week. Parody rules. Uh, which of the following is the biggest surprise to you so far this season? One, Gardner Minshew transferred in and became the best quarterback in the Pac-12. Sorry, Justin Herbert, making Washington State a top ten team entering November. Two. Herm Edwards is feeling a well-coached, inspired football team that still has a chance to win the South. Three, Washington looks ordinary. I look forward to the podcast every week. Thanks for all you do, John and Brea. Ooh, I think number two, Herm Edwards, is probably the biggest surprise for me. Um, well, no, it's not that big of a surprise. Uh, I'm going to go with one. Yeah, Minshew, Minshew being... Like, because all right, you always expect the quarterback in a Washington State offense to be pretty good. Like they're gonna put up some numbers, but the way he's looked pretty good, where he is, like again, I keep saying this, he's he's better than Luke Falk ever was. And I'm looking back at Texas Tech, and how many of those quarterbacks were doing what Minshew does? Like the way he avoids a rush to just buy time and then throw the ball downfield, it's just uh, that's something that Leach hasn't had before. Um, that level of mobility back there, so. Yeah, number one for me. Uh, yeah, I'll go Herm. This order looks good. I'm not super surprised about Washington. Um, they've lost close, weird games before. That doesn't seem odd to me. Yeah, and I think uh, I think when we talked to Chris Cartman to preview, he kind of changed my tune on what Arizona State was going to do this year. But I'm actually maybe a little bit more optimistic than I was on the future Arizona State with, with Herm Edwards there. We'll see if that ends up working out, um, but... That's been, you know, I think that's been nice for what we've seen from Arizona State. They lost some close games and stuff. Uh, we'll see how they end up finishing the season. But if they can beat Utah, I mean, that's going to be really tough. But uh, well, that would and, be huge. And you, uh, the thing about Arizona State is they don't, when they look bad, it's not in any of the ways I would have expected them to look bad under Herm Edwards. Yeah. Like, it's not like they're being absurdly conservative. They've actually been pretty aggressive on fourth down at different times this year. Like, they're not doing a lot of that NFL stuff. The only thing they're doing a little NFL-wise is that they're not running tempo nearly as much. But that might be... I mean, there could be so many different reasons for why they're doing that. But they're... I mean, they just look, you know, like a good, functional Pac-12 team that's, you know, lost some weird ones, won some weird ones. But that's what every team in the Pac-12 is this year. They don't look out of place. And honestly, we made a lot of fun of Herm Edwards. But, like, you listen to him in any kind of post-game interview or, you know, all he does is sound great. Like he sounds great. I mean, he, and he has great takes on the game. He provides forthright answers, and that's something that more more coaches should do and don't. Um, 
I could see them recruiting pretty well, actually, with him. Now that I've gotten a good look at him, because all I ever saw before was like, you know, weird clips of him from the NFL and, and stuff on TV. But yeah, he looks like a. I mean, he 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 says. I mean, he, he sounds great. I, I I love Herm. I'm a big Herm fan now. It's funny they if you watch the game, he did a. Uh, I think it was for Monday Night Football. He did the promo for him, like they had him do that, like Adam Amin. Uh, had him do like the promo and stuff like back to his ESPN days. It was kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. All right. This is our last question from Matt. Pac-12 in the playoff. Did I read the last one or did you? Yeah, I, uh, I did. You yeah. Read. Okay. Magnificent man of the podcast of champions. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. If it is accepted that a Pac-12 management is and always will be inept. B a nine game conference schedule is sacrosanct. And C. Any program outside of Heritage Hall will always be viewed with a healthy degree of skepticism. See Heisman voting. Shouldn't I be rooting for LSU to beat Alabama on Saturday and guarantee a second straight season of two SEC teams in the playoff? Isn't this the only way we can move closer to the 18 playoff that ensures national relevance for the conference? Yeah, we've had this thought for a while, right? Which is if you get two SEC teams in and you get Notre Dame in, then three power five conferences will be left out. And that would start to do it, I think. Right, I think because it's not the Pac-12 doesn't care. Big Twelve might not really care because they they're just dumb. But the Big Ten <laughs> would care. The Big Ten would be pissed off because they're just dumb. Yeah. Uh, so Michigan's looking like the team that would represent the Big Ten now. So something if they falter, um, yeah. No, I I think that would be huge. you know Notre Dame. If you want chaos, root for Notre Dame. Like root for them to because that's going to take at least one more conference out. Uh, I think it's going to be tough for two SEC teams this year, unless it's Alabama again, not winning the conference. So LSU would probably have to beat Alabama. So if you want chaos, root for LSU to beat Alabama and root for Notre Dame to win out. And then Alabama still gets in. Someone else wins the pack uh, the uh, SEC and they get in. And now you've only have one other team outside of the SEC and Notre Dame to get into the playoff. Yeah, Does that, that would do it. What, what if you end up with, is this basically the same scenario as last year? What if LSU beats Alabama, loses to Georgia in the title game? So that is one loss Georgia in the title game. Okay. So you have one loss Alabama. You have two loss LSU, but they've lost at top 10 Florida and they beat Alabama and then they lost in a title game to Georgia. And you have Georgia. Could that be three? I, I I mean, so say everything else goes to crap and like three loss Washington wins the Pac-12, uh, Northwestern wins the Big Ten, uh, like I don't know, I don't even know who's alive in the in the Big Twelve anymore. But like, say it's Texas or Oklahoma State or something dumb. Could we see three SEC teams? I think that's potential because Notre Dame would eliminate the Pac-12 by beating Stanford and USC um, and then eliminate the Big Ten by beating, I believe they play, they beat Michigan already and then they beat like Northwestern because I think they play them. They might be playing them this week or something. So you could have Notre Dame eliminating two conferences and then the Big 12 kind of eliminating itself. Uh, Well, no, because then Clemson's in. Like Clemson's just crushing everybody. Oh, yeah. I keep forgetting about Clemson. Yeah. So then, yeah, I don't think three, but I could see Clemson, Clemson, like Alabama, Notre Dame, and then like, you know, and Georgia or something if they, or LSU, you know, if they're able to 
if, if LSU yeah. could beat Alabama. Okay, so what, here's what we do. We have Clemson win, Bama win, Notre Dame lose a bunch, Big Ten win or lose a bunch, have three SEC in Clemson. Do it. Done. All day. Let's do it. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, I think Notre Dame, who, who are they going to lose a bunch to, though? Like, Because if they lose to Northwestern, that would help their case if they win. Uh, but maybe they don't win the conference. No, Northwestern can't make it in. They have three losses already. Oh, they do. They have three. Lo- okay, okay. So they lost to matter. Akron. They lost to Akron. <laughs> Interesting. All right. Yeah. So let's, that'll work. Let's let's do that. Okay. Cool. Chaos. So we've just we've just campaigned for an all SEC and Clemson playoff. Yeah. Anything in the Southern footprint. That's what we care about here on the podcast of champions. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, I probably got to go do some work. Okay. Besides uh, putting this up. Uh, No more Survivor Pool. So that's done. Uh, Six more games to watch this weekend, Friday and Saturday. Hope you guys don't have any weddings or anything to go to. And, uh, you know, go watch them. Dave, you'll be watching everything, right? Oh, yeah. I'm going to watch a lot. Every bit. I don't have to go. Every bit of it. I don't have to go to Corvallis, so I can watch a lot at home. This should be good. Um, Yeah. So it should be good. All right. Well, David, I thought it was a really good show. Hopefully uh, you had fun. I had fun. Hopefully our listeners had fun. But thank you for tuning in to the Podcast of Champions, and we will talk to you next time.